Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. that it's not by might nor by power but it's according to your great spirit we thank you for your comfort we thank you Lord for your mercy in Jesus name hallelujah certainly a beautiful and sweet presence of the Lord in this place I want to take the opportunity to welcome our E family anyone who's watching online this morning we would much prefer that you were here with us but we're glad that you're joining us via the internet anyway to all of our guests look around your living hope if you see a guest just wave at them give them a fist bump tell them we're glad that you're here today I greet you on behalf of Pastor Jason Staten and Sister Valerie Staten our first lady Pastor Staten is preaching out of town this morning he is in Louisville Kentucky and so we know God's going to use him greatly there Amen. Aren't you you thankful for a great pastor? Amen. We honor him this morning. We say this not because we have to, but because it's true. If you've never heard our pastor preach, you owe it to yourself to come back and make sure that you hear this great man of God preach. Amen. He preaches all over the world, all over the country, and he is a much sought-after preacher But he is a very capable man of God, isn't he? And he does a great job ministering and leading us as a congregation. Give honor to this great congregation, all of the folks who've made their way out to be in the house of God today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of what God is doing today at Living Hope. Amen. If you got your Bibles, your electronic device, however you're going to do it, they're going to put it up on the screen. You turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 12. For many of our home folks, probably a really familiar portion of Scripture. As I've said, as you're turning there, next Sunday we are going back to our not-so-normal schedule. Amen? Please don't bring normality into the building, but we are going to come an hour earlier than we've been coming. 9.30 prayer. We're going to create an atmosphere, and then we're going to get into the Word of God. Got some exciting things planned, and we're going to move forward as a church. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country. Don't you like it when God says, get out? And away from thy kindred and thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation. I'm going to bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Somebody in the church ought to say amen. Amen. And I'm going to bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee, or in him, right, I will bless, right, and in in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's a pretty big blessing. Verse 4. So Abram got out of town. He departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. 
verse 5, And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. Into the land of Canaan they came. Amen. Somebody agree with the word of God and say amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing in honor of the word. You can be seated this morning. Some people are born into privilege. By that I mean their family has wealth or influence. I was not born that way, but almost. True story. My family had the first color television in our county. My dad said that his older brother, two years older than him, drove a brand new Cadillac to school his senior year. And when it was time for my dad to drive two years later, he said he paid $40 for a vehicle with no seat and no windshield, and he had to wear, sit on a crate and wear goggles. Apparently, my grandfather had lots of money and a big business. And a, the story goes that my grandfather loved to gamble. And that's how the story goes. I asked him one time, Papa, what happened to all this money I heard about? He said, well, son, I won my first bulldozer in a poker game, and I lost my last one there. The truth is most of us were not born with affluence. We were not born with wealth. But in the church, some people are born into the wealth and the privilege that comes with spiritual heritage. I want you to know that if you were born with a spiritual heritage, whether you believe it or not, it's a tremendous advantage. I want to talk to some of this generation that you should value the opportunity that you've been given. I would go so far as to say don't waste this precious advantage. Don't waste this. Be intentional about building upon your family's spiritual le legacy. Be intentional about building your life upon the, the heritage that you've been given. Be intentional about making an impact on the kingdom of God. Now, the church in, in our generation, I, I believe this, I believe that we as Americans and we as the church of the living God have a tremendous advantage over past generations. Now, I've been around a minute or two, maybe not three, but I've been here at least two, and, and I remember when Pentecostals were on the other side of the tracks. Hello? Now, now Pentecost is popular, and so what I'm saying is we've got a tremendous advantage because people are open to Pentecostal worship and expressive worship, and, and so we've got a great heritage that we have. But in our story this morning, in our scripture, Lot, this nephew of the man Abram, he had such an opportunity. After Lot's father and grandfather died, his, his, his uncle Abram later who would become Abraham, became the patriarch of his family. Now, in ancient times, the patriarch guided the family. Some of you know, right? I know Sister Bush was the matriarch of this family. The last two special guests we've had come have asked me, is that sister still here? And I, no, sorry, she's gone on to be with the Lord. And They all said uh, about her great witness and her wonderful chicken. 
But what happened here is that Lot has an uncle, a patriarch, who was unique because Abram had a, a great call of God upon his life. And the Bible tells us that God has promised to give Abraham and his offspring an incredible inheritance, an entire, an entire area of inheritance known as Canaan land. But there's a difference here, believing God's promise. Abraham, we would pack up everything that he has and he would leave all that he knew in pursuit of this great promise. Now Abraham's nearest, as, as neighbor, Abraham's nearest living relative, Lot would have had great advantage. He would be placed right next to Abram at every meal. What, what an advantage, his, his proximity to this great man who possessed this unique relationship with an almighty God. It was, in all tenses, in all senses, a fantastic opportunity that was given to this man Lot. Because see, Lot could literally have the advantage of spending thousands of hours with the first man who had a call of God upon his life. Lot was able to observe Abram's spirituality in his faith. He was an eyewitness to Abram's faith in action. It was granted Lot this great opportunity. If I were given that opportunity and you were given that opportunity, what would you do? How would you treat such an advantage? As a wise man, I hope, I pray that I would have bonded with Abram. I would have responded to Abram. I, it seems to me like the natural and normal thing to do. But as I began to look in the scripture and began to study this out, the, the first, at first in verse 4, we see that Lot does precisely that. Because in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, it says, and Lot went with him. Now notice there, the, the wording, it's very unique and it's, it's very prominent in what we're going to preach about this morning. Because that Hebrew verb that is translated went describes a, a voluntary action. Lot makes a decision to identify himself with Uncle Abram's faith. Lot makes the decision that he's going to pursue spiritual things in his life. There was a moment, there was a time where Lot joined himself to Abram's great venture and pursuit of the promise and the blessing of God. Lot, in a very real sense, has committed himself not only to Uncle Abram, but to the promise of an almighty God. I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to be a part of this great adventure, this great promise? God said, I, I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, if my uncle is going to be a great nation, then it makes sense that I'm going to be part of that great nation. He, he said, I'm going to bless you, Abram. Well, if my uncle's going to get blessed uh, and I'm sitting at his right hand, it only makes sense that I'm going to get blessed. If God's going to make Abram's name great, it only makes sense that I'm going to have some notoriety. If, 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 if Abram's going to be a blessing to the whole world, it only makes sense that I am going to be a part of that blessing. But it doesn't stop there. God said, I'm going to bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And through you all the family, that's what I want to be a part of. That's some amazing stuff. That, that's great. And Lot went with him. And so it's likely that as Moses is writing this hundreds of years later that there was a category of time that was spent between verse 4 and verse 5 because in verse 5 there's a change in the connotation because the Bible says that Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the substance that they had gathered. And so the verb that is used here as took is different than the verb that was used went, and it indicates that Lot was now being forced or even 
One writer recommended that he was being coerced to go on. This verse indicates that Lot initially had a desire to go with Abraham, but now, at least in some measure, in some sense, Lot was being pressured to go. I want someone to understand that God is intentional about the use of these words. They are very distinct words. There are no casual words in the scripture, but something happened between verse 4 and verse 5 in the attitude of this man, Lot. Change of attitude. Something remarkable has happened. Something has gone on in, in his behavior. It implies that at one point Lot signed up. Uh, Lot put his name on the bottom line. He volunteered and said, I want to be a part of that. Uh, but something happens in between verse 4 and verse 5. And now somehow Lot is being compelled. Lot is being urged. Lot is being driven. Lot is being taken somewhere that he doesn't want to go Willingly. I find this interesting. I find this is something that applies to us as the people of God because I don't ever want my walk with God to become grudging and reluctant. I, I want my participation to result in my best effort. But the, the truth is, when it, becomes, when it becomes a journey of reluctance, when it becomes something that I'm grudging, there's a difference. And so there, there is where I want to go this morning because uh, I, I want to preach. Uh, I want to preach from this topic this morning. There's a crisis in commitment. Now, I, I, I'm not making a play on words. Uh, I, I'm not talking about someone might have a crisis of commitment, and certainly our world is lacking commitment in a lot of places. Uh, I, we, we can understand that. There's a lot of deadbeat dads uh, and a lot of deadbeat moms and people who just don't have, they have no commitment. Uh, but this is not a, a, a crisis of commitment. Uh, I want to preach about a crisis in commitment. A crisis in commitment implies that there's something wrong. There's a pr predicament in the commitment of the person who's made a choice. Uh, crisis comes in all shapes and sizes. Crisis, crisis, well, some would call catastrophes. Others are outright disasters, and some are just minor or major emergencies or even a calamity. And whatever it was that happened to Lot... Initially, there was enthusiasm. Initially, there was some sense of adventure. Initially, he was excited about traveling into the unknown. Initially, this man was excited about that unique blessing of God that would only come through his relationship with Uncle Abram. But as a young man journeying, I can imagine the excitement, how it must have been in a caravan traveling through that Middle East with no roads and no telephones. But those hot days and those cold nights, those dusty desert trails, that mountainous terrain, it must have taken a, lot, it must have taken a toll on Lot somehow. It must have eroded his dedication. I want to preach to the church on a, on a Sunday morning, uh, six months into coronavirus. Uh, the commitment always comes down to a decision. Amen. Commitment. If you're going to have a, a crisis in your commitment, it simply means somewhere there's a change of mind. But now, as it always been, it's just a decision. Lot made a decision that would prove not to be the final word on the matter. I began to ask myself, what could have Lot been? 
I mean, Jesus preached a sermon about Lot, and he, he turns around and he looks at the scribes and the Pharisees and the disciples, and he simply says three words, the shortest sermon ever preached, and he said, remember Lot's wife. This man was such advantage. This man was such this man was such a unique opportunity becomes uh, the butt of the joke if you will. This man becomes uh, the irony that everyone understood, but something changed uh, from when Lot went with Abram to Lot was took. Somebody hear me this morning. Uh, I want you to understand uh, the spirituality that this man had didn't last. Uh, it turned from one of enthusiasm to one that was grudging. Lot was still, Lot was still participating, but there's a difference in his participation. Now it's a, it's a have to, not a get to. Uh, now it's a got to, not a want to. Uh, there's something very inconsistent going on with this man of God. It may seem like a subtle thing, but this subtle thing had a, had a great impact not only upon this man, but upon his family. I know our world has a lot to say, and our world hates when you start talking about commitment, but the truth is you're never going to make anything of yourself without commitment in some area. It's all around us. We see inconsistent commitment every day. Inconsistent people are indecisive. They tend to vacillate. They, they're unpredictable. They're erratic. They're undependable. You just can't put a, 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 you can't put your thumb on them. They're inconsistent. They sound like they're committed. But you cannot just listen to their words. You've got to watch what they do. So as I began to pray about this and look into this, I found that the, the so-called experts, the, the psychologists tell us that there are three specific types of commitment. And I began to look at those and how that they fit into Scripture. And if you're taking notes, you want to write these down. I did not put them on, on a slide this morning. But the first one is called or defined normative commitment. This kind of commitment is, is based, normative commitment is based on a sense of obligation. And the person who, whose commitment is, is normative or, or becomes obligatory, they feel morally or legally bound to their duty and to their responsibility. I, I, I just had to step back for a minute and say, you know what? I'm sure there was a part of Lot that felt duty bound. I'm sure there was a part of Lot that felt the obligation. I'm sure that this is just how most normal commitments work in life. But over time, when a commitment is formed on the normative, when it's formed out of obligation or duty, what happens, it begins to evolve, or rather it begins to erode to a place where we begin to manage our commitment. Now, I know we made commitments at an altar, I know we spent some time in prayer and said, God, I, I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll do whatever you want me to go. I, I, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. And we used to sing the old song, take the whole world but give me Jesus. And now I'm watching some of those same folks won't even come to church. But this normative commitment says I'll stay or I'll continue or I'll keep doing what I'm doing with an if. It's conditional. It puts a condition on the commitment. I want someone to know that in the times of blessing, passion, and excitement come easy. It's easy to make a great commitment to God, but then life happens. 
Sister Monk, I, I don't want the ifs of my commitment to, to interrupt what God is doing in my life. Uh, I, I'd, uh, I'd be there, but. Uh, I'd be there if. I'd be there, but. And all those excuses begin to come and come and come and come. It's easy to make that commitment in a time of passion and excitement. But then those little details just kind of creep into life. They began to intrude into my commitment. Those things I didn't expect, those things I didn't plan for. For us, it's not the dusty trails of a journey through the Middle East, but likely it's the annoyance of a, of a daily grind of a job. It's, it's making it to early morning prayer. It's the struggle to believe that God will really bless us when we give. My point is simple. Motivation always comes easy in the moment. But if obligation, if it's made as an obligation, it eventually will become a place of demand. It'll come with a place of responsibility and duty. I didn't feel like a lot of you would shout this morning, but I felt very strong in my spirit that with, with obligation comes responsibility. And we live in a world that is void. They don't want the responsibility. We're in the middle of a struggle right now. And I'm going to stand in a pulpit and say that this struggle is real. Should we, should we go ahead and confirm a, a Supreme Court justice or should, shouldn't we? But it's really about some of this obligation. If I don't want that child that I've conceived, I really don't have to have it. Because I'm committed if it fits into my plan. Hello? I'm not trying to get into political sense, but you understand the gravity of what's going on. When passion is replaced with obligation, commitment will suffer. Somebody hear what this preacher's saying. When passion is replaced with obligation, commitment will suffer. Oh, come on. We've all been at an altar and experienced the passion of the moment. But when the obligation comes, when it... In that moment when the bill has to be paid, when the tax comes due, we're, we're not so willing anymore because our commitment has a crisis of obligation. I want someone to understand I am still willing to do whatever God wants me to do. I'm still willing to go where he wants me to go. Come on, I'm telling the church, uh, we can't have a reluctant commitment. Uh, we can't have a half-hearted commitment. Uh, we've got to sell out to this thing. Oh, God, give me some voice. Obligations tax us and wear upon us. They make the soul restless. Obligation becomes a chain of bondage that we just can't break. We just can't free ourselves from it. And our humanity gets in this place of reluctance, unwillingness, hesitation, lack of enthusiasm. Ah, God, I don't ever want my walk to become one of reluctance. Come on, somebody. I'm closing out the fourth generation. I'm closing out the fourth decade in the church. I'm closing out the almost 40 years in the church. I want to have more passion now than I had back in the 80s. I want to have more passion than I had in the 90s. I want to be more sold out to God than I had in the two. Come on, somebody. 
If you got an if in your commitment, you're going to have a crisis. I want to hunger again for the things of God. I've been given a great opportunity. I'm sitting at the right hand of blessing. He's pouring out on, come on somebody, I'm talking about the truth of God's word. If we're not careful, we begin to complain. We begin to worry and complain and say, oh, you know, we can't do this. And we can't oh, shut up and come to church. Be quiet, humanity, and get along. Come on, I know you feel it because I feel it. I know you deal with it because I'm dealing with it. I hear that voice of coronavirus and say, you can do this if, you can do this but. But I've taken the if and the but out. I'm sold out. I'm come. The Bible tells the church to buy the truth and sell it not. You see, the writer understood the problem that existed in Lot's world exists today. The, rea the, the real issue is that truth is for sale. As we mature, come on, gents, as we mature, we abandon our commitment by looking like we still got some. Mm. They call it casual commitment. Now, some of y'all fixing to sit down on me and not get back up. I'm not prophesying, but you ain't going to like it. But back in my day, we didn't have casual anything in the church. I know it's a different world. I know it's a different generation. But casual comes from obligation. Casual comes because I got an if. Casual comes because I got a but. But I'm taking casual out of my vocabulary. I'll be casual at home. But when I get in the presence of God, I want to... I don't want a ham sandwich. I want a steak dinner. I want all the fixing, the trimmings. I want everything that God's got for me. Come on, somebody. Our, our world is filled with people that want religion as long as it's convenient. They want the truth as long as it's convenient. But when they get in a crisis, that truth is for sale. When they have an opportunity to do something else, Brother Lot, uh, that thing's for sale. But I'm telling somebody, when it begins to cost more than they're willing to pay, they become distant. Uh, I'm preaching to the church uh, that convenience was a driver in Lot's day. Lot wanted to be part of the blessing, but he let his passion go. Lot wanted the benefit of the promise. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, but he was no longer willing to pay the price. Uh, but I come to preach uh, to live in hope uh, on a Sunday morning uh, when we're just about to go back to our regular, our regular services and tell you that commitment is not, it's not defined by where you're going. Oh. Commitment is not defined by what you do. <laughs> commitment is defined by where you stop. You see, Abraham stopped and began to dig wells. 
Oh, no, no, no. Abraham stopped and began to build altars. Abraham stopped and began to sacrifice. You got to know my commitment is not defined by what I do in the church or what I don't do. My commitment is defined by where I stop. No, no. You're missing the point. Lot stopped for convenience. Lot stopped in a well-watered plain. Lot stopped in the convenience of a city gate. Lot stopped for influence and affluence. But Abraham, he would stop and dig a well. He would stop and dig deep. He would stop at an altar and begin to sacrifice him. Oh, I wish I had somebody in 2020 who wasn't afraid to dig. I wish I had some church folk who would get excited and say, I'm going to dig. I'm going to build. I'm going to sacrifice. Come on, Abraham. You got to put some work in. You got to get out and you got to walk. And everywhere you put the sole of your feet, I'll give it to you. But Lot... He had eyes for 7-Eleven. Go get me a hot dog and a Slurpee. Ah, I can't wait till that preacher's done. Why? Because passion has left the building. Passion has moved on. But Abraham, he said, I'm okay in a tent. I'm a... Lot said, this, this pilgrim lifestyle, it ain't for me. Oh, come on, Pentecostals. This lifestyle of separation, of holiness, it's not for me. I... I know where I'm preaching. I know where I'm at. I'm telling you somebody, in order for the promise to be realized, you got to put some work in. you got to be willing to work. It's not, it's not about what you do. It's about where you stop. I'm going to stop at an altar. I'm going to stop at the cross. I'm going to stop at the well. Oh, come on, I'm going to stop in the Word. I'm going to dig and dig and dig and dig. Come on, Lot, take the if out of your conversation. Come on, Lot, remove the but out of your mind. Remove. Dig again. Dig again. What changed in the heart of Lot from a went mentality to a got-to-be-taken mentality? What happens in the church, Brother Johnson, when we have to be taken somewhere? What happens to us when we can't worship for ourselves? But i got to have somebody take me into the presence of God because I've walked. Listen to me. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. you got to get obligation out of that. I don't worship because I have to. I don't worship because it's my duty. I worship because I want to. I worship because it's my passion. I worship because I love. There's a crisis in commitment. Well, it's just not who I am. Liar, 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 liar. Pants on fire. It's not who you are. You're still excitable. It's a normative. It's normative. It's just normal commitment. But it's bound to obligation. It's bound. It's connected to something that's Bigger than we are. The second type of commitment that these so-called experts, they called it continuance commitment. I found this one to be strange. 
Brother Andre, they said that this commitment is based upon fear or loss. People who have a continuance commitment, they move forward because they're fearful of losing something or they're fearful of what it's going to cost them. I wonder how many people still go to church because they're afraid of what they're going to lose. Jesus said it this way, what, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? He went a step further and said, uh, I wonder what a man would exchange for his own soul. Uh, you, you got to understand this. Uh, what will the, the NIV says it this way. What will, what will profit a man if he shall gain the whole world for his soul? Brother Barry, I, I contemplated this for myself and began to ask myself, where, where am I at in this continuum? Where, where would I find myself? Because certainly I've got some corn in the crib. I've got a few church services under my belt. I've got some experience at an altar. I, I have dug a few wells. I, I, I have made a, a couple of altars. I have put in some sacrifice. And, and, and my question, Brother, Brother Plager, was how much would I lose if I walked away from this now? Now, can I tell you, I don't know anybody who hasn't had that thought. Some of y'all wouldn't be honest and tell me you've had that thought, but I know for a fact that every human being has that thought. I just can't even wonder what my life would be like without the presence of God. But what happens is that many have experienced this crisis in their commitment because they start wondering what it's going to cost me if I walk away. I've worked hard to get where I'm at. I've worked hard to make some ground. I've worked hard. And, and so this element of fear reaches in. In John chapter 6, the Bible says that Jesus is teaching in Compartium, and he uses some hard words. The, the, the Greek word says, that what the commentator said, that he used uh, some, some, some words that were offensive or disagreeable. The Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 66, that from that time many of Jesus' disciples went back and walked no more with him. I thought, wow, this sounds like a lot experience. This sounds like those men that were excited to be a part of this new kingdom. These men were excited to be a part of Jesus' ministry, but when, when the cost was exposed, hello, when Jesus begins to tell them, except you, you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, hello? Now, hold on. I'm okay. I'm okay with this, Lord, up to a point, but cannibalism is where I draw the line. Now, we know it's not really what he was talking about, but he's talking about unless you're willing to sacrifice and give and be a part, and he's talking about the impending changes that are going to come at his death. And the reality is that we commit to jobs and we commit to relationships and we should, but what about our commitment to spiritual life? I began to pray and say, Lord, how many people are committed to church more than they are to spiritual things? My question was, what are we afraid of losing? 
I want you to understand, I don't really have anything to lose here, but I've got everything to gain. I know that I have, I've been through some pain, and I know that I've lost some anger, and I've lost some hatred, and I've lost some prejudices, and I've lost some hangovers and probably some heartaches, but I know that for everything that I might have lost, I have gained some things in the presence of an almighty God. Oh, hallelujah. I'm heaven bound. I'm on, the, I'm on that old train to glory. I'm not. Paul said, I'm, I'm pressing forward. I'm not looking at what's behind. I'm not looking at what might have been. Come on. Is there a lot in the building who will say, I'm moving forward. I'm. Well, I feel like I've lost my ability to choose. Probably in some situations. But I've gained peace. I've gained mercy. Come on, somebody. I've gained the grace of God. Oh, come on, somebody. My sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Oh, come on. You can complain about a party you missed, but you got the wrong mentality. No, 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 no. I am looking forward. I'm not going to get caught up in all. Come on, I'm hearing some good people of God and you're saying, I, I can't come to church because I got to wear a mask and I can't worship because I, no, 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 no. I'm still under the blood. I'm still under the anointed. I'm still in the mercy. I'm still. I'm still under the, I can wear a mask and worship God. I can wear a mask and preach if I, I can do. I can do all things through Christ. Come on. Don't change your mind, Lot. You've got to sit under the anointing. You... Come on, there's still blessing. There's still purpose. There's still revelation. I'm tired of hearing what I've lost. That's all coronavirus is about, about what we lost. It's all about what we lost. I'm not looking at what I lost. There's a heaven to gain. Come on. There's a presence of God to gain. There's more mercy. There's still a throne. There's still glory. But the truth is that difficulty in every life can birth disappointment. It's really easy to become disillusioned by what we don't know. I, I read this, that educators intentionally make the first year of med school and the first year of law school incredibly tough. They want those prospective candidates to wash out early rather than late. I think it's the same for 
the Navy SEALs and things like that. But I want someone to know I come a long way, baby. I'm still under the blood, and I'm not going to have a crisis in my commitment. I'm not going to wash out. I'm not going to give up now. I'm not. I'm pressing forward. I'm moving forward in the Holy Ghost. The reality is that what you go through is going to, perfect, it's going to affect your perspective. Amen. It's imperative for us as the people of God that we've got a right spirit. I can't stress this enough. You know the next couple of months in our nation are vital. They're crucial. But it's imperative as the people of God that we've got a right spirit, that we're focused on our mission, that we've got clear vision, that we're ready and prepared to go out and take the gospel to our world. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But you know this is the truth. Crisis is just another part of life. Some are global. Tsunamis, earthquakes, terrorism, pandemics, they, they affect us all. But other crises are personal. Cancer, bankruptcy, divorce, the loss of a loved one. It's that fear of the unknown that creates fear in us. And fear always results in a crisis of commitment. Oh, I began to read and look at Elijah, that great man of God. Here he is one moment, one minute after the greatest victory in his life. Oh, old Jezebel says, I'm going to get you, boy. I'm going to get you, Elijah. I'm going to wear you out. I'm going to kill you dead, prophet. And this man of victory. This man of faith begins to have a crisis of commitment and he runs as far and as, come on somebody I'm preaching to the church it's time to quit running in fear it's time to embrace it's time to stand up and be counted, come on Lot I'm not going to change my mind I'm not going to, I'm not going to be taken anywhere, I will go willingly Commitment. I shake my head at the people that are more committed to their job than they are God. I'm thankful for a for a paycheck, and I I'm definitely committed to I'm definitely committed to my job. But they are not my sustenance. My blessing comes from God and from God alone. I don't care what the name is on the check. God is my supply. God is my blessing. God is my provider. Come on, somebody, I've come to. I'm not looking at what I might lose. I'm looking at what I'm going to gain. Continuance. Well, I, I, I go, but I, I, if I go willingly, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Brother Trey, what it's going to cost me. Why? No, 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 I began to look in the Bible, and my Bible says he's not given us again that spirit of fear, but he's given the spirit of love and a power and a sound mind. Oh, come on, somebody. I haven't got to go back to fear. I got power. I got authority. I got the love of God. I got to, come on, somebody. You ought to fight against the. 
I wish I could resurrect Sister Brown. There's a war going on, and you got to fight. There's a war going on. You better fight. It's just another crisis. It's as real as every crisis is, and they all are real. But the truth is, it's just another crisis, and God is greater than my crisis. I'm not looking back with fear. I'm moving forward with faith. I'm moving forward in love. Come on, the church needs to find some solid people. The church needs to find some Abrams uh, that are consistent and constant. Uh, You need to quit looking at what the world's doing. Uh, You need to quit looking at how they're treating the pandemic. Uh, You need to look at some people of faith. Uh, You know what they're doing? They're stopping in the right place. Uh, They're not stopping at a mask. They're not stopping. They're stopping at an altar. They're stopping to dig a new well. They're stopping to worship. Uh, They're stopping to sack. Come on, somebody. Quit looking at what the news is telling you. Quit looking... Oh, come on, find an example in the house of God. I'm not going to have a crisis in my commitment. The third and the final type of commitment that these so-called experts have is called effective, not effective, but effective commitment. And this commitment is based on love. Based on love. It's not based on a condition. It's not based on fear. But this type of commitment is based upon love. I began to look at this and say, wait a minute, Lord. What do you mean this one's based on love? I mean, you know, commitment's a choice and all that stuff. Love's a choice. We, we get all that right. But I began to look at this. And you see, Lot was looking for city life. He wanted that well-watered plain, that place of influence. He, he, he didn't like that pilgrim lifestyle. But Abraham was searching for a city whose builder and maker was God. Abraham was looking for a place that was a product of his devotion. Oh. Brother Roberts, you can't drop the C word and the D word in the same sermon. People will just quit coming to church. When you start talking about commitment and devotion, you can choose one or the other, but you can't. That's just not. We're going to get mad. We're going to sit down on you. We'll not, we'll not put up with that, preacher. You go on somewhere else. But I remember the writing of John when he looked, because this is not, this is not a 20th or 21st century thing. John looked at the early church, and he said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, because right, if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want someone to understand what I'm saying today. There's a commitment to that's based upon love. There's a commitment that's shored up upon love. God so loved the world. God is committed to you. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm not putting an if or a but. I'm not reacting to fear, but I am committed in the love. I'm committed. I'm committed. And we somehow think it's a new thing. But I began to read about this. 
Paul celebrated this man called Demas in Philemon chapter 1 verse 24. He said, he's my fellow laborer in the gospel. He said, this is a wonderful thing you need to understand. Demas is a great person, but he would move just... Uh, just a few months or years down the road to 2 Timothy, and he says, Demas has forsaken me because he loved this present world more than the things of God. Not what happened to you. You could have been in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. You could have been named among the flock. You could have been, it could have been Abraham and Lot and Isaac and Jacob and, no, no, no. You could have been right there. You could have had, you could have had a part of that blessing. You could have been part of the blessing. You could have had it all, Lot. But something happened to your commitment. There was a subtle shift in his commitment and it, it went from a went to a took. I'm thankful for a man of God who will put a little pressure on me when I need it, Brother Johnson. I'm thankful that the Word will put some uncomfortableness in my spirit and urge me and compel me to go forward. But the reality is, Brother Peoples, I'm a, I'm a long time into this thing now. I've been saved longer than I was lost. And I don't want to have to be compelled to go further than I want to. Because there were some altars along the way. But I said, God, I'll go anywhere. God, I'll do anything. And I am talking to the church six months into a pandemic. And I'm saying, for me and my house, mm -mm. you ain't got to drag us nowhere. We don't need a drug problem in this church. We don't need to drag the people of God anywhere because you know why? We're going to stop and dig again the wells. Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm talking to Living Hope. We're going to stop again at an old rugged cross and remember the sacrifice. We're going to We're going to build some altars again. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com.